This morning, we come to the very last section of Paul's letter to his friends in Thessalonica. And what we're going to receive is a specific assignment. And if we're open to it, and if we do uh, what we're guided to do, the outcome will be the church that we're a part of altogether will grow. Uh, If you find your way to verse 11 in chapter 5, we're going to receive very specific guidance here from Paul. Here it is. Therefore, encourage one another and build up each other as indeed you are doing. Okay, here is your responsibility. For the people that God has put in your life, you are to encourage and build up each other. Come alongside others to help them grow. Now, this was already happening in Thessalonica, which is why Paul was so joyful and encouraged in his letter. But here at the end, he wants to push his friends even more to commit to the work of mutual upbuilding because this is how God will help them grow. Now, Paul picks his words carefully. Build up here is a construction term. It's what the work crew does when they are building a house. Try to picture this. Uh, They select a location, the ground is leveled, and then stone by stone, the foundation is laid. The house is framed so that there's room for large gatherings and then places where people can be alone and quiet. The whole thing is warm and welcoming. It's safe and secure. It's built strong so it can withstand the storms of life. It's good for living because this crew has put a lot of work into it. Now, that whole process is a picture of what God wants us to do for one another. Just like the work crew uses all of their skill to construct something that's good, God wants us to use the influence that he's given to us so that we are building up the people that he's put in our lives. It was just the same way with Jesus and his disciples. Try to imagine his process. Jesus taught them the truth, which was the only foundation they could build their lives on. He gave them his words to construct a framework in which they could experience true life. He showed them the way which, if they were to walk it, would enable them to have a a life that was strong against the storms and could withstand all of the challenges that would come their way. When they were confused, he offered clarity. When they were mistaken, he corrected them. When they were down, he inspired them. Every day, he used the influence he had to build them up. Can you see it? This work is the same work that God gives to us and he expects us and he frees us to take responsibility for it with one another. This is the assignment that Paul gives at the end of his letter. Now, this this guidance comes with a promise in it. It's not directly stated here, but it's implicit and it's this. If we will follow God in this way, he will help us grow as we turn our attention to others to help 
them grow. As we decide to use whatever influence we have to build up the people who God has put in our sphere of influence. Think for a moment of the people that you have some influence over. And then ask yourself this. Do I do more building up or tearing down of the people I interact with? Do I only pay attention to myself or am I willing to look to others and think about how I can help construct for them the kind of life that God wants for them? Paul's guidance here is particular to each one of us and it comes with very clear instructions. If we go down a little further after verse 11, we can find in verse 14 something like uh, architectural plans. Or, or building guidance that we're meant to receive in relationship to specific people who we'll know in our lives. And the guidance tells us how we're to help build them up. Look at verse 14. And we urge you, beloved, to admonish the idlers, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Be patient with all of them. Now, if you have your own Bible... I want you to take a moment to circle the three different types of people that were just named. We have the idlers, the faint-hearted, and the weak. And then before each one of them, there's a verb which tells you how to be at work for each one. Underline those. Admonish, encourage, and help. Okay, this is the who and the how of our assignment. And and what we're going to do is take them one at a time. And for each one of them, I want you to identify a real person who you know, who matches the description, and then commit to being at work, helping them grow, as Paul tells us to. One at a time. Let's start with the first the idler. This is someone whose engine is running, but it's not in gear. So he's not going anywhere at all. Stationary instead of engaged in his work. He's not necessarily doing anything wrong, but he's not doing anything right either. A picture, a soldier who is out of step. Everyone's marching along, but he's off to the side, sitting stationary, and he stopped moving. He's received his mission. He agreed to it when he enlisted, but right now, he's not making any progress toward the goal that he has already said he would take in hand. He's idle rather than active. Do you know someone like that? Can you think of a person who's got potential, but it's not realized? Someone within the church. We have to remember the context here. Paul is not teaching them to think of every person they've ever met, but this is guidance for the community of faith together. Is there someone you know in church who said yes to Jesus, they've got faith, but it's not making any difference at all in their life? They said yes to him and agreed to follow, but right now they're sitting still and they're not moving at all. Whoever that is, let that person come into your mind and and, and try your best to find someone uh, who you have a relationship with. Have you got them? Yes. Now look carefully at the guidance for that person. This is how you're going to build them up. 
admonish the idlers. In the most basic sense, admonish means to lay upon someone's heart. To figure out how to motivate them internally so they wake up and put the engine in gear. Admonish is urging or maybe warning or correcting all without embittering or provoking that person, but instead imparting a mind for a new way of being which turns into positive action, prompting that person who was going nowhere to finally get moving. There's someone you know who's idle and who will only grow when you take responsibility for building them up by laying it on their heart that it's time to get engaged. And you should do it. Because when God's people take responsibility for admonishing those who are idle, everything changes. I was completely idle in my faith all through college and after college ended. I wasn't doing lots of bad things, but I wasn't doing anything good either. And if not for the Christians in my life who were willing to admonish me and help me grow in that way, I would certainly not be here before you today. Uh, The summer after college, I went to a Christian music festival called Creation with a group of friends. And and there we heard a, a very inspirational talk by a man named Tony Campolo. He asks us this question. If it became illegal to be a Christian and you were arrested and brought before a jury, would there be enough evidence to convict you of the crime? And when I thought about myself, I was like that soldier out of step, not doing anything. I'm not sure there would be any positive evidence. He told a really inspirational story about one of his former students who after graduating had decided for a new direction in life to go instead of working at a great big law firm where he'd earned tons of money to go instead to defend people who were on death row who couldn't afford a lawyer like him. And he did that, Tony said, because he believed this is the work that Jesus called him to. And he didn't just say yes, he went and did it. At the end of the talk, he gave us an opportunity to actually get in gear. Uh, Anyone who wants to put their faith into action, he said, Come talk to me when I'm done. If you just want to tell me I did a good job, stay away. My friends, after we finished, they had planned to go find their way to a river to go swimming. I decided to stay and talk to Tony. And as the crowd thinned out, there were thousands of people there. I saw a small group speaking with him, but I was too afraid of what I would lose if I went over and signed up. And so I waited. And then he looked at me and And feeling afraid, I simply turned away and and walked off trying to go find my friends at the river. By the time I got there, they were gone. And I'd missed an opportunity to follow God. I began walking back to my campsite by myself, up over this hill and then down again. There were tents everywhere. On the path that I was walking on, up over the rise, I saw the silhouette of a figure in the late afternoon sun, and it was Tony Campolo coming toward me on the path. He just happened to be walking right there. As we stopped face to face, I said the only thing I could think of. I heard your talk. He said to me, what are you going to do about it? And then he raised his hand and he gently slapped me on both sides of my face. And, And that was his way of admonishing this idler. 
And that made all the difference for me. It changed everything. Who do you know who needs a gentle slap in the face? Metaphorically speaking. I'm not suggesting that you go after this message is done and slap someone unless that's what it takes to wake them up and put them into gear. Maybe it's someone in your community group who's right on the edge of getting going in faith and they just need a push so that they'll get more involved. Maybe it's a spouse whose faith has dwindled and grown cold and God is calling you to encourage and lay it on their heart. If it is a family member, you have to be very careful. Uh, It's tricky sometimes to admonish the people who are closest to us. I'm not sure that if my parents admonished me, then it wouldn't have worked. Even though they're such wonderful folks, maybe there is someone in the family of faith though, who's come to mind, who you need to admonish. Make a mental note of that person. If you need to write their name down in in the margin on your Bible, do it. And then commit to helping them grow, building them up by laying it on their heart to get going. Commit to that. That's first. Can we do that? All right, let's add a second person to the first. Now look back at verse 14. The second one you circled is the faint-hearted. This is someone who's disengaged like the idler, but for completely different reasons. The faint-hearted is the person who's lost her inner spark. The fire inside has gone out. She used to be joyful and vibrant and alive, but now she's drained, flat, and empty. Like all the life has gone out of her, her heart is like a person who has fainted. The Greek term here is very, very illustrative. It means small-souled. Someone whose spirit has been reduced, diminished and contracted under the pressure. So there's no more joy or courage or hope because there's no room for it. The only thing in there is fear and anxiety and worry and grief and depression. Does someone you know, come to mind here. Someone whose heart has fainted. When I think back over this year, there are too many people who come to mind. It's very hard. But do ask God to bring one person into your vision right now. This will only be practical if it becomes action for real people. Who is the faint-hearted person that you know? Listen now, this is God's word to you for that person. Look again at the verb there before faint-hearted. You are called to encourage that person. Now, the English here barely does justice to the original language. In ancient Greek, this word is almost exclusively used in poetry. Paramutheomai. It's the adverb towards put together with the verb to tell, to exhort, or to speak, and the word depicts an event, listen now, in which one person who has something good to say goes toward another with the kind of friendly words that can wake a heart back up that has been put to sleep. Can you envision that? Encourage the faint-hearted means come right up alongside that person who's completely spent, the one who you're a little afraid to go toward because of how hard it has been for them. Go right up to them, the one who's dying in here, and speak words which soothe and comfort and console. 
which bring courage and healing and relief. Say the truth to that person, which emboldens and enlarges that spirit of theirs, which has diminished so they can come back to life. Can you picture that? Listen, everyone can do this. You can't be too old or too young for it. When we lived in Red Bank and our children were little, there was one day I was coming home from the office and I passed one of our neighbors. His name was Travers. He was a young adult who had recently moved back at home uh, to be with his mom. And he looked awful. I got back and Michelle explained to me, she took me aside and whispered in the living room that earlier that morning, Travers' mom had had a fatal aneurysm while she was working in her garden. She was our friend. And, and she was very kind to our children. She used to bring them gifts and she invited them always to work in her garden with her. While Michelle was whispering, I thought, how are we going to tell the kids? But Nate overheard. And so he came in and he asked us what's going on. And so I told him, this morning, Tippy died suddenly. That was her name. He thought for a moment, and he said, who will take care of Travers? I told him Travers will take care of himself. He was in his late 20s. But he will be very sad. And then Nate said to me, we have to go over there right now. And then he grabbed my hand. I think if he hadn't done that, I wouldn't have gone over there. I was too afraid. I couldn't say no to him. We walked around the block. We knocked on the door. Travers' girlfriend let us in. He was curled up on the floor and Nathaniel went right over to him and then kneeled down and he put his hand on his shoulder and he said, I'm so sorry. And then he just stayed there while Travers cried. Encourage the faint-hearted means... Don't follow that impulse in you to keep your distance from people who are hurting. Because God has designed us to need one another in moments like that. And this is the work that we've been assigned. If we are going to grow as Christ's followers, it's our responsibility not to stay away, but instead to be companions in the struggle. Moving toward those who are broken with a friendly word that can wake the heart back up. It may be as simple as, I'm sorry. I'm here with you. It may be more than that. And for those of us who follow Jesus, it should be more than that. It can be the words of life, which we've been given by Jesus, who laid down the foundation for us to build our lives on. We can say, no one else knows the weight of the grief you are carrying, but God does, we can say that. Cast your trouble on Jesus. He cares for you. You are not alone. Jesus is the good shepherd who walks through every dark valley right beside us. He will never stop pursuing you in his love. Trust me, he's with you. Come to him and believe and he will give you rest. Who do you know who right now is faint-hearted? Receive this assignment 
encourage them. Go to them with words which bring life. That's second. We've got one more. The weak. This last one will sound like a value judgment because of the way we tend to use that word, kind of as an insult, they're weak. That is not what Paul means here. Weak is a term that indicates a simple deficiency which can easily be remedied. The weak is someone who lacks the power or capacity or resources that are required for the task that God has given them. All all they need is someone to come alongside them and give them that thing which they lack and then they'll be fine. The engines in gear, they're marching along with plenty of fire in here, but they don't quite have what they need to get the job done. Like there's a heavy lift, but the weight is too much for them. Or he's ready for the journey, but he has no map, so he's going to get lost. Or he's entirely eager to get started, but he lacks some skill required for success. Can you think of someone like that, which God has put in your sphere of influence in the community? That person who is weak in that way, that's the one who you're going to build up, look again, as you learn to offer help. Okay, all three, this one's the easiest because there is not one single person who doesn't need help and you have exactly what you need to help them. And here's where God's wisdom is so simple and profound. I hope you noticed in verse 11, that Paul did not say, encourage and build up yourself. That's not how it works. And this is wise because we are always trying to help ourselves. And because of that, most of us have only one person looking after us, ourselves. But if we follow this guidance here and we all decide to look out for the people that God has put into our path, helping others, then we each have lots of people who are working at building us up by offering the help we need. And so here we have to take our eyes off of ourselves and then look at the people around us in the community of faith who need the assistance which God has equipped us to offer. And then whatever the gifts are, whatever the resources are or the skills that you have, which they need, then you simply need to give it. God wants you to use all that he's given you to help build up those others by offering help. Maybe you know someone who's new in faith and therefore weak in understanding the basics and you need to help them by taking time to read and discuss one of the gospels together with them week after week. God's calling you to that. Or maybe there's a young business person who's trying to figure out how to be a good Christian witness at the office And you can help by offering to become a mentor, sharing from your own experience. Maybe there's a family that right now is going through a period of financial weakness. You can help with the stimulus check that you received but don't really need. Maybe there's a young mother who's at her wit's end with the challenge of the little ones. You can help with a daily check-in, giving space to vent, and advice for the journey from your own experience. Here, use your imagination. However you are equipped to help, you are invited to keep your eyes open. This is how God wants you to build up others. Take your eyes off of you and help someone else. Let that third person come to mind and make a commitment now that when we're done, you're going to take steps to help them. 
if we will commit ourselves to these three, to being active and, and diligent in the work of admonishing those who are idle and encouraging the faint-hearted and helping the weak, then God will help our community grow. And here's a second thing. We will find ourselves challenged by the work that we accept. Do you know that helping the people that you've thought of is not going to be easy? Do you know that? I have a dear friend, a wonderful Christian, who tells me, Christian, if you ask God to use you, don't be surprised if you feel used. Because it's going to take a lot of energy and creativity and persistence on your part to be effective at building up others. Paul knows that. And that's why he added the last clause in verse 14. Look at it. He finishes this guidance by saying, be patient with all of them. It is going to require persistence on your part and you're going to have to endure. And there's going to be a time when you want to give up, but that's the moment where you need to remember that with God, all things are possible. Sometimes trying to build up others is going to feel like you're lost at sea. The waves and the wind are great, but that's when you need to remember that the one who calls you is the Lord of the wind and the waves. You are going to think, how can I go on being patient with these other people? But in that moment, you need to take it to heart that if they're also listening to this message and you are one of the three people that they've thought of that they're called to help, they're also going to need to be patient with you. But the truth about all of us in this community of faith, and take this to heart and then get ready to build, is that we can be patient with others because God is patient with all of us. And I want you to take that to heart right now. The one who calls you, Jesus, to be at work building up the people around you is committed now and always will be to building you up. Jesus is not going to give up on you. He's not. And he's always going to be patient with you. As you work at building your brothers and sisters in faith, he will work at building you. You can be patient with them because he will be patient with you. The only way we'll succeed is when we're open to his help. And so let's close our time with this instruction, this guidance, by asking for his help. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. God, we thank you so much for your servant, Paul, who was so diligent and so effective in, in instructing your people in how to grow. We thank you that when we gather together and listen to your word, you speak to us still. God, we thank you for putting on our minds this morning those people you've put in our sphere of influence who are waiting to be built up by the work that you've called us to do. Please help us be faithful in the commitments that have come to mind this morning as we've thought of those who need to get in gear, those who have fainted on the inside and need to be awoken again, those who simply need help. Help us follow through with the commitments that we've made in our minds and help us be people of action who are effective in building the people up around us so that the entire church will grow and be strong. And then finally, God, help us be patient in this process as we remember that you are patient with all of us. 
We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.